0: Hi there. My name is Matt Furness and this is The Culture Hack, a video and podcast series that captures experiences and life lessons from those who know culture best. The goal? To help you to understand, design and change your company culture. Thanks for tuning in. Hi everybody, and welcome to The Culture Hack. It's Matt Furness here from Click Culture Consulting, and I'm joined today by Jeremy Lowen. Jeremy is a founder and director of Spinnaker Performance, a specialist culture and leadership consultant, uh, consultancy. He's also a, an old colleague and friend of mine. He specialised in leadership and culture consulting for the last 10 years or so, and he's also led research on integrating cultures after mergers and acquisitions, or M&As as they're uh, known. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. So first, welcome Jeremy, thanks for joining.
1: Thanks Matt, thanks for having me.
0: So as I say, we'll be talking today about culture in the context of M&As, but first it would just be good to know a little bit more about your story and your background.
1: Thanks Matt. Um, So I started out as a sailing instructor and that's where I um, sort of think about my, this very start of my development career. Um, And it's an important part of my story because as a sailing instructor, I, I noticed I was particularly interested in how do I help people to learn and actually how do I help to create learners? So I noticed that the the use of questions and the impact of me asking more questions actually than giving people answers was really helpful for, for that. And I also noticed that people learned holistically as well. They developed as people as I was working with them as opposed to just learning a skill. It was often broader than that, things like communication and resilience. So I got really interested in, in the psychology of development and um, and ultimately in, in performance environments. Um, and that's where we met. So I um, started to work with Lane 4, Leadership Management Development Consultancy, which is where I spent 10 years of my career uh, and really started to get into um, the role of leaders in creating organizational cultures of high performance over time. Um, I was really interested in, in the psychology still and had a bit of an appetite, Matt, to get back into the academic world. So studying the master's in organizational psychology um, after 10 years out of academic work, uh, and at the same time um, happened to experience an acquisition. So um, Lane for the organization we were part of, were acquired by EY. And so um, that was just a, a timing, uh, really a great opportunity for me to explore and understand um, the impact of mergers and acquisitions on organizational culture, which is where I then took my research and, and the topic of this conversation today.
0: Awesome. Sounds good. And what I noticed with each of these conversations that I have on the Culture Hack, people have come from such eclectic backgrounds. So it's a really interesting transition from sailing and structure to, to, to what you do today. Um. So in terms of that research, then let's start with what were the questions that you were trying to answer?
1: Yeah, well, I was particularly interested in the impact of uh, an acquisition or mergers and acquisitions on culture. So that was really the area that got me particularly interested in in how does this quite significant change influence um, people's experience of organizational culture? And partly the, in in response to my own experience as well having been part of that process myself. And what I found very very quickly was that whilst mergers and acquisitions do influence culture, culture also influences mergers and acquisitions. And so it becomes a sort of two-way relationship that's constantly evolving. Um, and it actually, as you start to explore that further, you start to say, well, why is that? What's happening there? Um, and it, when two established organisational cultures meet, what happens is that they, they engage in this sort of social process called acculturation. I don't know they're doing it, but it's sort of happening to them. It's, it's sort of the part of this making sense of their experience culturally with each other. And there's a variety of different organizational and individual outcomes that happen as a result of that. And so that's what I was particularly interested in is what is a How does it work? And how do you um how do you support that experience so it can be as positive as possible for organizations and for people?
0: Makes sense. And what I think what I think is really interesting about what you just said is you were researching it while simultaneously going through it yourself.
1: Yes. Yeah, yeah, how did yeah. you
0: find that process of one day wearing sort of research Jeremy is the researcher and wearing that hat and then the next day going Jeremy on the receiving end of this sort of M&A.
1: Yeah look, and I think this is a, a challenge not just in research but also in in um, for the consultants out there working with organisations you are also part of that experience as well as you are trying to look at it objectively as, as much as you can and I think what I found was that um, it was a challenge but I had to engage in something called reflexivity. So looking at myself within the context of the work that I'm doing. And so I took a diary. And so I sort of like took my thoughts and feelings throughout the process of of, of the research. and started to look at that in contrast to what I was researching itself and how does maybe my perception influence what I'm dealing with in terms of the data um, and also working with other people. So trying to challenge my own biases and get different perspectives on, on the situation. So it's definitely a challenge, but I, I also think it's a challenge that uh, we experience in practice because we are often part of the system that we're operating in, as well as we are trying to look at it um, objectively as well.
0: It's so interesting. And I, I think there's a lot of talk about this academic academia and practice gap, right? Sure, um, yeah. And yeah. I, I imagine that reflexivity as you described, it helps you to bridge the sort of conceptual, um, academic rigorous papers with actually mm. lived experience and how how to pragmatically make it work and it makes me wonder what were the what are the real problems that made you want to focus on this research in the first place
1: well I mean the, the first big problem I suppose with mergers and acquisitions I say problem it, it's a um it's an area that got me particularly interested Um, as I started to look at some of the outcomes of mergers and acquisitions I found that somewhere between 40 and 60 percent of m a's fail and that acquisitions are more likely to fail than mergers so I started to get well, why is that that's such a that's such a low success rate on something that is you know of critical importance to organizations and often there's a lot of money invested in m as and yet we're looking at only 40 to 60 percent of success and so you start to see that um you know, we start to interrogate that data actually and we start to think well what what are the measures of success here? And they're mixed and we can challenge and we can sort of critique that reliability of the data. But what's really clear to me was that there was considerable room for improvement. So we started to explore what was going on how do we help m um, as to be more effective, but also be better experiences for people. And what I found was that traditionally, uh, organizations focus on the strategic and operational factors. They're the two sort of areas that gain most of the attention. So the strategic is like, why are we doing this? What's it for? Um, What's it going to give us in the marketplace? How are we going to leverage the different capabilities of the organizations? Uh, So that's a strategic approach. And you have the operational, and that's sort of how are we going to bring two organizations together so that they work together effectively. So what are the systems that are in place? How do we merge some IT systems and ways of working and um, hierarchies and make sure that we are kind of bringing two organizations together as one operationally? And then the culture was often an afterthought, if if at best, if anything, it was an afterthought. So I started to go, well, maybe there's something in this, maybe there's something in the cultural um, component that can help us to answer um, the challenge that that we're facing with M&As. Mm.
0: With culture being an afterthought, why do you think that is?
1: I mean, it's a good question, right? But I think um, the strategic and operational factors are critical. So there's no getting away from that. They are really important to get right. If we don't get those right up front, then we're sort of not really going to unlock potential of an m a deal at all. It's not really going to be the right thing to do either from a strategic perspective or operationally, which is going to be all over the place. So those two factors are critical. They're also more tangible as well, I would argue. So you can start to see if i if we do this, it is going to yield this outcome. We can start to draw a connection quite clearly between um the decisions we're making, choices're we making and the outcome that it will create. I think culture sometimes is a little bit more implicit. It's harder to put your finger on. And yes, we can have sort of value sets and we can talk about who we are as an organization. But really getting under the skin of it, really trying to understand the organization beneath the surface, that's a harder thing to to understand and to do so quickly. So I think there's something about the visibility of it. Um, but my, my argument now, having looked at all three and in particular the culture, is we should be looking at all three altogether. So they relate, they connect to each other. So the strategic and operational factors will influence your cultural factors as well and how you approach your M&A deal through that cultural lens. So it's all, all together as opposed to just saying, all you need to do now is look at culture. It's absolutely not. Strategic and operational factors are critical too.
0: So it sounds like, when going through an MA, leaders on both sides of the both organisations should be looking at strategic operational and cultural factors. What happens if nothing changes? So what happens if organisations continue to focus on the strategic and operational factors but overlook those sort of softer, um, mm-hmm. softer, uh, less tangible cultural factors? What will be the impact?
1: Well, I think basically if you do nothing, if you sort of wait and see what will happen, then um, you're far more likely to experience what's known as culture clash or culture conflict between organisations, especially when there are quite different cultures between those organisations as well. You start to see that showing up at an individual level, so things like interpersonal conflict or frustration or confusion, and then at an organisational level, things like poor retention, engagement, productivity. And there's an example, actually, I've got um, a, a client I was working with Two cultures coming together, one culture typically very sort of commercially orientated, and one culture very people orientated, and the sort of wait and see approach meant that it created challenge actually challenges actually at a at a sort of really practical decision making level. So um, decisions that were made to sort of protect profits were perceived to be uh, oh you don't care by the people orientated culture. Do you really care? You're not you're not really thinking about what's right for the client here. Decisions that were made in favor of the client, what's right for the client here, or what's right for our colleagues uh, was almost like, you're over-servicing or you're being too kind, you're being too nice by the other organization. And so what you found then was different perspectives on the same decision led to frustration or challenge or conflict. And actually sometimes decisions weren't getting made properly or decisions were made, but were leading to frustration on one side of that. And so the reality actually was that both cultures have something to offer each other. And there was, v- mm-hmm. there was value to be had there. So to to look at this decision from both perspectives and to lean into that sort of healthy conflict to try and find the right decision would have been a benefit to both organisations. But there was a failure Mm. to see that up front, which led to Mm. confusion and challenge. So if you do nothing, you're far more likely to experience those kinds of culture clash.
0: Mm. So being proactive, as proactive with the cultural side of things as you are with the strategic and operational rather than taking this what you said is a what you described as a wait and see approach which will inevitably lead to problems down uh, down the road. So, so let's look at then how organisations can be um, proactive um, and in particular what the evidence-based strategies they can use to actually bring those cultures mm. together might look like. So what did your research tell you about how you can practically bring two cultures together?
1: Well, I think the first thing to say is that no M&A is the same. So actually, when you're starting to look at how does culture help us here, we need to start asking ourselves some questions. Like, what is our ambition for this merger and acquisition? And how might culture help us to achieve that ambition? Or indeed, how might culture get in the way of that ambition? And there's lots of different ways that it might um, show up. So you might decide that your culture, as you bring two organisations together uh, with their own well-established organisational cultures, you might say, um, that, that You want them to keep the same culture. You want them to keep their, both the same cultures um, and what is called multiculturalism within the organization. So that might be an option if you have uh, low integration. So you're not really going to bring two organizations together that much. You're going to keep them at arm's length. And actually, you can remain fairly separate operationally and culturally. And that's kind of OK. So we can stay in that way and, and keep our cultures protected. And there's an organization I work with as well that that have done exactly that. And so they remain retain their their um, sort of pre-merger culture, and so they now just continuing to operate as they as they have been, but they just have a different ownership structure, and that seems to be working well for them. Um, you may also find that that's possible if you have a high tolerance for cultural difference or cultural like multiculturalism. So you know, really big organisations where they have different pockets of organisational cultures that exist within them maybe that's okay. Maybe that's you know part of how their culture is that actually allows for that multiculturalism. You might find um, another option here is that you could have one new culture. So both cultures change. They both lean into this and say, look, we're going to create this new organizational culture together. We're going to influence it together. We're going to sort of try and get the best of both. You might say that um, one of the cultures is going to be absorbed or assimilated into the other. So basically, one of the cultures is going to disappear or to change quite predominantly and the other one's going to stay fairly fairly similar to what it was. So there's lots of different options or strategies that you might set out on when you think about your culture. What do you want it to be? But I always ask people to think what well, does that re- how does that relate to the outcomes you're trying to drive? So when you're thinking about the strategic and operational factors, how does your culture need to be to help you to deliver against those?
0: I guess it's similar to any project, you start with the end in mind, it sounds like, and you start with what in six months, one year, 18 months, whatever the time frame might be, what do we want these two cultures to look like by then? And then we can work back from that. So once you have that clear vision of what you want it to look like, what are the, um, again, the ta- the tactical or the strategic things that you can do to pragmatically make that happen?
1: So I think uh, you know, starting with an, an understanding of what the cultures are, the two, if they've got two or more cultures here, what, what are they and how do we define the cultural characteristics? And like I said, beyond the value set, beyond how it's described and articulated, what, what is the experience? What's the deeper culture that sits within these organizations? And then you can start to um, quite practically apply acculturation theory to your mergers and acquisitions. So acculturation theory talks about um, from, Uh, either either in a merger context or in an acquisition context, um, perceived attractiveness of the other. So if I, as an organization, if I perceive the other organization to be quite attractive, to be quite exciting, to be culturally quite appealing to me, I'm far more likely to get curious about them. I'm far more likely to engage in conversation and try and understand what's it like here and maybe involve myself in some of their projects or conversations to help me understand it. I'm also going to be asking myself, sort of um, maybe subconsciously uh, what's my level of um uh, willingness to change myself my own culture as an organization if i am i willing to adapt and to do something different here or actually do i really really like the culture i'm part of and if i really like it i'm probably more likely to try and preserve it and to do everything that i can to try and keep it and therefore Mm. i'm not as likely to engage in interaction from Mm. the other organization you might start to think about um uh, yeah, I talked about the degree of multiculturalism. So, how how many separate different cultures can coexist in this organization? If there's lots, then maybe you can actually keep that culture preserved. If there's none, if it's just one, you know, um, sort of the uh, same culture throughout the organization, it's going to be really difficult, I think, to keep to keep that separate identity. So, you can start to see from sort of different perspectives at an organizational level. Um, that you can apply acculturation theory in a quite practical way. So what does that kind of mean? It means that leaders or people involved in uh, a merger and acquisition should be starting to ask themselves questions about their level of willingness to change, should be starting to consider how they perceive the other organization. And what are those perceptions based on? Are they based on um Uh, data and evidence are they based on hearsay are they based on reputation so really trying to challenge that perception we might hold because ultimately it's going to influence our behaviors it's going to influence our willingness to lean into this um, and to ultimately get the, the most value from it
0: a couple of things i've noticed as you've been talking is that i've really liked is firstly um as a leader, you need to be noticing those things within you and you need to be conscious of those on your perceived attractiveness of the other organization and and vice versa, right? And how much you're trying to hold on, because if those things are happening for you, they will also be for your people, perhaps even more so because they have less Mm -hmm. control over the process than you. The second thing that I heard you say that I really like, and this is my words, not yours, it sounds like the push and pull. So how much of a pull is there based on the perceived attractiveness of this new organization? Are you thinking, is it really Mm -hmm. pulling you in and going, I really want this and is there a push away from the old stuff or are you still is there no push away from where you are at the moment if so mm-hmm. you probably will just want to stay how you are if, if, if things are good for you at the moment and it's and you're less likely to to sort of want to pull onto the new thing so these are my words not yours it almost sounds like how do you sort of push people away from the past Mm. and what people had um, and whilst also simultaneously pulling them towards something new um whilst also recognizing yeah, instead of so they don't sort of get stuck on, OK, well, I can't do that anymore. But what what, what do I have instead?
1: Yes. And look, you've just made me um, think about one of my favourite definitions of culture, just because it gives us a nice metaphor to play with, is the idea that culture is to organisations what personality is to an individual. And so when we think about organisations coming together, two organisations coming together and their culture, if you were to liken it to two people meeting each other for the first time, then you might think, well, how does that relationship form in a really healthy way? So if you were to engage with that other person, and you were to be really curious, you were to ask lots of questions, you were to um, try and learn from them, and you were equally willing to share and to open up and to disclose um, something quite personal to you as well, and, and create connections around that, you're far more likely to create a trusted, healthy relationship. Whereas if you were to sort of start the conversation and ask very closed questions, or maybe not even ask any questions at all, not really be willing to share anything about yourself um, and sort of dismiss each other and maybe not really engage with each other, then you're less, far less likely to create a, a positive, healthy relationship there. And ultimately, it's the same, but at a more organizational level with lots of people, we're thinking about if we use that metaphor to help us, it, I think it can help us to consider the behaviours That we might need to adopt to have the best possible experience here Mm.
0: as as you're speaking it's making me wonder whether a lot of this stuff or some of this stuff is sort of common either common knowledge or sort of it just you know intuitively it, it makes sense yeah but Colin common knowledge isn't common practice whether how well organized actually do this in practice how purposeful they are about it I think is a completely different matter I think it's easy to sort of sort of nod, nod along ferociously and go, well, yeah, obviously all this stuff makes sense, but it's a different question on whether they actually do it. So on in that line of thought then, mm-hmm. what are the big, the big big myths or mistakes that you've seen a lot of organisations make when trying to bring together two, two cultures?
1: Well, you know, the, the big one that really surprised me was that the answer doesn't just lie in trying to find similar cultures so the idea that if we find someone who's like us culturally then we'll integrate really well actually there is huge value to be found in cultural difference and so when we find that you know cultures with that if i use that earlier example that sort of really commercial focus in terms of a culture or really people focus um actually if we can leverage the value of those perspectives and have our cultures interact in a really healthy way we might then start to yield better outcomes, better decisions, more creative, innovative perspectives. And so, one of the one of the things that I've been working on recently is creating a culture of inclusion with a, with an organization. And really, the premise there is that it's a performance enabler. As much as it is a moral one, it's a performance enabler. And it's a performance enabler because there is greater challenge, healthy challenge between um, teams of people who have different perspectives, experiences, backgrounds, are able to see things from different from different angles to solve the world's hardest challenges, it requires us to take lots of different perspectives to make the best possible decision in a really healthy, balanced way. And that's for me part of how do we how do we yield value, a greater value from MA deals. Actually, if we can think about culture as a chance for us to create a more diverse, rich experience of organizations then we can yield greater outcomes so instead of just trying to find the similar culture how do you find the culture that is quite different from yours but then it really does require concerted effort and energy to really try and leverage that value
0: Mm, i think the challenge with that is if you do get someone who's complete and a small organization that's completely different to you how do you um uh, protect what made them so great as opposed Mm to bring them in and then sort of just wipe out that that difference which could have been a competitive advantage for me that's the challenge there to make sure that you're actually protecting the sort of the good stuff that is different from the you know the, the broader culture I, i'm making the assumption of a big organization taking on a small one here but you get the point yeah
1: and look i think the, the um the sort of strategy that i would suggest here and actually it's the hands down the number one um in terms of the strength and consistency of the evidence around um helping organizations come together culturally through acculturation is informal socialization so what i mean by that is is the informal contact between members of both organizations where they can and i really mean informal so this isn't let's put them on a project together let's give them some work to get on with the. i mean informal we are getting to know people at a at a personal level at a cultural level we're trying to understand how things operate here um how things how, you know the the norms the stories the values that really sit within day-to-day interactions that informal socialization between the different organizations is incredibly powerful for a few reasons and partly to what you've talked about there. But um, we as individuals, as human beings, we crave this sort of sense of autonomy and belonging. We we create we crave these things as intrinsic motivators. And often through m a deals, this is where it's so hard, is that these are things that outside of our control often. Often it is a decision that's made at a senior level um, by the few for an organization that is the many. And so we crave that sense of autonomy and belonging and we really try and find opportunities to influence the culture that is being created around us. So mm-hmm. if, we are, if we have the opportunity for informal socialization, informal social contact, then it helps us to feel like we are in more control, helps us to feel like we are mm-hmm. co-creating something and helps us to really mm-hmm. make sense of the change and make sense of it with each other. And for me, that is the, mm-hmm. that is the number one strategy here. To implement as soon as we can, and to consistently stay tuned into it, is that social contact between organisations.
0: Yeah, got it. So it's and what you've just described there, right, is quite an easy thing to do. It's quite a small thing. It doesn't require a huge project team and lots of money, um, which I really like. What and. What, I, I Similar to that, what what's a you know a culture hack that you love? So something else that takes a little effort but can have a have a great impact.
1: Uh do you know what my my um my favorite culture hack, little thing you can do that has a big impact is to start with your project team. So if you are part of a team who are trying to create a cultural change, and it could be about anything, doesn't have to be within mergers and acquisitions, then starting with you helps you to do three things really well. It helps you to be more empathetic to the organization because you're actually making change yourself first. So it helps you to be more empathetic with the organization, the change you're trying to create through the organization. You can, if you get it right, you can become beacons and role models of the change you want to see. And it also helps you to spot risks because you recognize and notice risks in yourself or with others. You can start to spot risks at an organizational level. So if you are doing an M&A and you are part of that project team who's charged with the integration of your M&A deal, then make sure in your project team you have members of both organizations and make sure that you spend time on the informal social conversation about what your cultures are really like, um, where where and how that culture shows up and how it might then affect your M&A integration. If you're doing a culture change project on inclusion, then have conversations about your own privilege have conversations with each other and challenge each other from a different perspective and really get curious and stay humble in your own sense of who you are within this context, but really curious about other people's experiences um, and backgrounds and different perspectives and challenge each other when you maybe are behaving in a way that's not inclusionary. Um, If you're trying to create a culture around behaviours and mindsets to integrate AI or whatever it might be, How do you put AI at the center of that project team? So really trying to bring it into you and your team first um, is easier said than done, I would say. And that's why I think it's a culture hack, is that the temptation is we get sucked straight into doing the do, to actually getting straight into the job, getting straight into the project. Um, And I always think that if we are trying to, if we treat culture change as a task, like something we need to do. Then we've we've already failed. It's far too transactional. Mm-hmm. And we need to start with us and we need to really empathize and really understand what it's required. And if we can do that well, I think it helps to accelerate the cultural change in the long run.
0: I, I totally agree with this idea that you can't just plan every eventuality and have this beautiful project plan an Excel file. And you know, by the end of that your cultures yeah. will be integrated. And I think things will arise. And I think if you are living the change at the same time as trying to orchestrate it, you are most likely, as you say, to pick up on little things as they go wrong, and you'll 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 notice those little tensions, and that will then give you the data that you know to feed back into the big project plan or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. So it's, it it yeah. reminds me a little bit of what you were saying at the front end of this call, actually, where you've got the, 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 the research or the project, mm. but then you're going through it yourself. So you have that reflexivity at the same time. And those two things together can make sure that you've got this concerted effort and you're being agile with it and, and, and you're learning at the same
1: time. Absolutely. And and this is what I think the opportunity we have as consultants when we're, when we're consulting in this space or uh, leaders when we're trying to instigate this cultural change is that we are doing both those things and we need to see ourselves within that context as well. I just think it helps us to be more effective generally and sort of hold the mirror up to ourselves and, and to experience things that we're trying to ask the organization to, to experience as well. I
0: totally agree. And I I am conscious we could talk about this all day. I'm really conscious of your (laughs) time and the listeners uh, time. So uh, Jeremy, do you have any final reflections on our conversation?
1: No, look, uh, Matt, I've really enjoyed it. Um, it was uh, great to revisit this piece of research and to think about it in the context of, of, you know, practically how would we apply lessons learned from this? And I'm certainly going to start um, thinking about that more and more in my practice, um, in, in my work as a consultant. Um, but please, uh, yeah, let's keep talking. And, uh, and to any listeners out there, very happy to pick this up and, and to discuss it in, in further. Sounds good.
0: Uh, and so firstly, a huge thank you for sh- for sharing your time and your experiences and, and the lessons from your research. Really do appreciate it. Um, if people have got questions or want to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do so?
1: Uh, LinkedIn is probably the best way. So Jeremy Lowen um, uh, in my business is Spinnaker. Uh, there's a website which is under construction. Um, but yeah, really happy to connect on LinkedIn and to um, engage in any conversation about this, any feedback or questions you might have on it, I'm, I'm delighted to chat to to, it through.
0: Brilliant. Thank you, Jeremy. So I think that's all for today. If you like this episode, please do listen to uh, our other episodes for more first-hand experiences and lessons on all things culture. Otherwise, that's all for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Go well, everybody.